Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ubi Est Mia, a show about Chicago with former Chicagoans. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode is with Joe Kilgallen. Joe Kilgallen is a funny stand-up, as opposed to the very unfunny stand-ups. Anyways, he's a stand-up, uh, former Chicagoan, super Chicagoan, current Angelino, whatever, or Burbank person. Person that lives in Burbank, California, which is not technically part of Los Angeles, but it's a suburb. So, Angelino for all intents and purposes. They have horses there. You could legally have a horse in Burbank. Now that's something that you know about Burbank. Anyways, Joe is a funny man. I like talking to him, and he loves talking about sports. And I love talking about sports, and I don't get to talk about sports very often, so I'm very happy that he took some time out and talked to me. Without further ado, here's the episode. Do people find it weird that you like Nirvana as much as you do? Some people do. Totally. You... Natalie Jost, I remember her being like, really? And I was like, yeah, I'm like obsessed with them. What do people think you listen to? Probably like, uh, I don't know, The Offspring or something terrible. Who knows? <laughs> I was going to say just uh, sports radio. Just AM sports radio. Honestly, that's what I've been listening to mostly in my car. Only because I think regular radio is pretty terrible. You might get a decent song here or there, but overall, it's going to be bad. Um, what I, I really thought of you, this is weird. You're now the guy I think of whenever the Cubs are doing well. I'm okay with that. That's a reputation I built up in Chicago because I wanted to be the guy where when anyone's, whenever someone had an extra Cubs ticket, I was their first call. And I was. I would go to like 20 games a year for free because someone's like, hey, I got an extra ticket. I'll call Joe. I was like that in several circles. How did you become that guy? Wearing a Cubs shirt to every open mic my first two or three years of doing comedy before I realized that half the audience would hate me because I was wearing a Cubs shirt. It took you two years to figure out that most of like comedy fans aren't big Cubs fans? Yes, it did. Maybe not two years, at least a year. It took me at least a year. <laughs> so then you started wearing Blackhawk shirts instead. Yeah, you know, well, Blackhawk at the time we're kind of hipster yeah i'm like 2000 my first year was 2007 so if i was wearing a blackhawks shirt then people were like oh this is a team that isn't popular you know and i felt like some people because there were some logan square bars that would like hockey the world away and there was a couple other ones that were like hockey bars that had open mics and this and is then, uh, way before both the hawks were good and way before logan square is what it is now yes both Okay. When I was growing up, Logan Square was like a horrible neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew um, up just north of it on Milwaukee. You okay? Where neighborhood did you grow up in? Portage Park, like Milwaukee and Irving. When did you leave Portage Park? Uh, I I moved out when I was like 21 to Lincoln Square with a couple friends, and then I moved back home to Portage Park. And then I lived, I lived pretty much all over the north side. I lived in Jefferson Park probably the most. I always wanted to be near the Blue Line. But the apartments in Logan Square and Wicker Park were, I don't know, too small for my liking. You're one of the few people that I know that are actually from Chicago proper that did stand up in Chicago. When you would meet guys like me or anybody that was from the suburbs and said, oh, I'm from Chicago, and then you'd ask them where, and it would never be Chicago, would you get upset or were you just like, I'm so used to it, it doesn't matter? No, I was used to it. I would only get upset when I met someone who was from like some small town in Ohio or Michigan or whatever. And not because they were from a small town, but I would get upset because they would live in Chicago for a year and act like they knew everything about the city. And then they would, you know, they would say, oh, well, this is the best place for a pizza or a burger. I'm like, no, you should try this place. 
where's that? And I would give them like an intersection and they'd be like, never heard of it. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you've only lived here for a year. So stop being so dismissive of everything that's not in your little neighborhood. I never understood people that you move 700 miles from your home to only spend time in three square miles in Roscoe Village or wherever. I never got that. What's the thing you miss most about Chicago in general? God, that's a tough one. Uh, I guess that, yeah, I guess the sense of community in a way where there was, there's definitely something about Chicago where I was talking about this on Facebook with a few people the other day. How long do you have to live in a place before you could call yourself like a Chicagoan or a New Yorker mm-hmm. or an Angelino in LA? And people who move to Chicago want to be known as a Chicagoan as soon as they can. Where I've lived in LA for two years, I have no plans of being called an Angelino. I don't care if I'm, if I'm ever considered from LA. And I, I know people who've lived in LA for 10 years who are like that. But people move to Chicago, they want to be part of it. And I guess I kind of miss that sense of community. I guess I miss that bitterness of people bitching at each other on the street. But I definitely miss the food and my, you know, all my family and friends are there. So definitely that too. How old are you? 31. So you were in Chicago from zero to 29. Yes. Did you ever think you'd move? Yeah. Yes, I did. But I was one of those guys who said I'd move when I was like 21. So, and it took me eight years later. I so, thought it would have been the exact opposite. I thought you would have been one of those guys that said, like, they'll have to come and get me in order for me to leave. You know, a lot of people think that. I think a lot of people thought that I was going to be a lifer because I wore Chicago on my sleeve so much. But, I mean, I never wanted to move. I always knew I would. I, and, but I, but people thought, oh, it's been – you keep saying you're going to move and you haven't yet. So I think people thought, oh, I'm just going to – because I was telling people when I was 25 of those I was going to move. And then I eventually did when I was 29. I didn't think you were going to move in addition to just loving the city so much is because you actually have a wife and most comics that do the move are doing it single. You tend maybe sometimes after a horrible breakup and that's the impetus to move, but you have more of a subtle life than most people that decide to move across the country. That's true. I I mean, I think having my wife out here has been the, the best part about it. I mean, some people will say, that, you know, LA is tough, so it's good to have somebody. But, you know, in comedy, it's almost better to be alone because the life is so stressful and inconsistent that you don't want to put someone else through that. And there are times where I'm like, oh, I should probably be out right now hanging out at a show at least or trying to get on stage somewhere, but instead I'm going to stay at home with my wife. And I'm happy to do that, though. I just know, knowing that, I know I might might take me a little longer to achieve what I want to achieve, but it's totally worth it. Well, what do you want to achieve that you haven't done yet? You've released multiple albums. They've been really well received. You have a consistent showcase in L.A. You still have your consistent showcase in Chicago. You've had decent parts on television shows. What's the ultimate goal? I want to sell a screenplay and have it be made into a movie. That's something I wanted to do before stand-up comedy. So I'm still trying to work that out a little bit. I want to make a late-night appearance on one of the late-night shows. I really, a Netflix special would be a dream or HBO, obviously, you know, one of those two big Comedy Central, mm-hmm. those, those things. But I'm not, I don't have like any like long-term where I'm like, I, I want to have a Joe Kilgallen show on NBC or Netflix or anything. I mean, that's never been a huge thing, actually. I, um, I'd like to act a little bit, but I'm not driven by that. Mm-hmm. If I, I kind of want to act in a sense where someone just gives me the part. I don't want to, I don't really care to go on the grind of auditions. I, I really just want to do stand up and anything related to stand up. Anything I can, you know, something like that, I guess. What's better for actually being a stand up 
the on stage part, LA or Chicago, or does it even matter? Oh, it it matters on stage. Definitely Chicago. Why? There are there are better showcases. There are better like independent shows in Chicago. There are, there's more stage time in Chicago. LA, uh, the stage time is more valuable in the sense that you kind of get more out of it. It matters more because there's less stage time, so you don't mess around as much. But as far as growing and finding your voice as a comedian, Chicago is a better place to start. I mean, that goes without. But L.A., you'll learn industry stuff. Like, I, I talked to comics in L.A. who started here, and they were thinking of their TV5 a year in. And in, in Chicago, we weren't thinking of that. We were thinking, how could we have three open mics and get to Diner Grill? It was just having fun because there's no industry. We just had a blast. I, I don't remember ever thinking. I came to L.A. very naive on industry stuff. Like, just not like, oh, what? Who's that? What's Deadline? What's that website? You guys go on that every morning? and see who got cast in what part, that's crazy to me. Um, so definitely Chicago's better there. There's better shows. LA's so spread out, too, so it's hard to do multiple sets a night and things like that. Okay, so what neighborhood are you in? Do you live in? I just moved to Burbank. I was in Hollywood the first like year and a half plus of living here, but I moved to Burbank a few months ago. If you've never been I'll... to LA, how would you describe it to someone that's from Chicago? Because I've been to LA, but it's very... It's it's not a, at all what I thought, and in terms of layout, it's pretty sprawling. So Burbank is pretty easy to get to. It's cheaper. It's more space. Horses are legal there, so people keep them as pets. Yeah, yeah that, that was a culture shock when I was walking my dog. I'm like, is that a horse? Yep. It's, it's a suburb, but L.A. feels like all suburbs, really. Um, what would it be like in terms of Chicago, Evanston, Okay, maybe? Because it's on the border of, like, everything. Uh, I'm trying to think if I could compare it to a Chicago neighborhood. I really – maybe, like, some of the neighborhoods you'd see, like, on the northwest side or southwest side. Mm -hmm. Because it still has, like, a feel of being urban, I guess. But it's there's malls and there's, you know, I guess maybe, like, Harlem and Irving in Chicago down by the at, hip. Yeah, by the hip. The Harlem Irving Plaza, absolutely. Uh, yeah, kind of like the yeah, northwest side. Uh, not, North no offense North to people near – North and uh, north, north the hip, but it's much nicer. The hip? No, no, no. Yeah. where you are is much oh, nicer. Much nicer. Oh, yeah, no, the hip's kind of grimy. Yeah. Because you're in L.A. and because you're at this level where you're in your 30s and a lot of your friends are from Chicago, you actually see – I see a lot of people that I know that live in New York or on, in Chicago on your Facebook feed. Like if they're going to come and do TV, they're staying at your house and they say nice things about you and your wife. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, uh, it was funny because when we first moved to uh, L.A., we were living in Hollywood, right by the Hollywood Bowl, which was madness living over there. Uh, Lisa Traeger, I think, stayed with us every other month, our first four or five months out here. She came that's... out, we were like three weeks in, she was here. She came back in March, May, July, like every other month she, was, she came out here. And Megan Gailey is staying with me right now. She's like our roommate officially. Now, you and Megan had a show I used to listen to called Naked Sports Live. And you were on the show a couple times. Oh, I loved it. It was one of the only sports shows I listened to because you genuinely cared, and you got real frustrated when Megan didn't know things. And Megan cared about things, but in a different way. Yeah, totally. And it totally. wasn't like anything you'd hear on the score. No, no, nothing against the score. It's just very different, and I, I enjoyed that much more. And I'm bringing that up because now you have a show – that's not exactly like that, but it's sort of like that. 
it's cut from the same cloth. I I just simplified it. I realized I listened back to Naked Sports Live and realized where I got my uh, inner psycho out a little bit on things. And uh, I like to nerd out about sports, and I like the X's and O's and getting into it. So someone told me that when I did the show by myself, it was almost like Mark Marin had a sports podcast. So I kind of wanted to do it that way, where I would have a comedian, a new comedian every week. It's called Comedians Talking Sports. Megan's done it six times. Uh, so it's like she's still around, you know. <laughs> and she's actually going to be walking in any minute now. She went out to play tennis with uh, Chicago comedian Hank Thompson, uh, Thompson, who's living out here now. Um, really quick, so, I want to put this on the record. I do not appreciate Megan Gailey's love of tennis. I think tennis is the absolute worst sport to follow as a sport. It's one of the most fun to play. I appreciate the game for what it is, but to follow tennis is only second worst to following golf. If you follow golf, I have nothing to speak to you about when it comes to following golf. There's nothing wrong with playing golf. I'm just, I don't want to talk about it ever. Same with tennis. Sorry about that. Moving back to you. No, I agree with you. I don't. I don't follow tennis much. I mean, I'll, I'll know who's winning Wimbledon and things like that, but I'm not waking up at seven a.m. to go to some bar to watch the French Open like some people do. So with the podcast, I wanted to just have a new comedian on every week because I I like meeting comedians to talk sports with because everyone's got a weird, interesting take. I'll we'll talk about whatever the current madness is in the world of sports. Then I'll get to know why they fell in love with sports, which is always interesting to hear different stories. Like uh, comedian Rhea Butcher, who's doing great right now, she was on one of my first ones and just hearing her talk about her grandmother being really into baseball and her grandfather being into baseball and just learning from them. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. She's obsessed with baseball like me. So I like hearing that side of it. And then we'll review like a 30 for 30 documentary because I feel like sports documentaries are always the most compelling. It's either murder documentaries or sports documentaries. Those are the only two that I could really get behind or the ones that show you how terrible the world is. (laughs) Now, um, all documentaries I like. Now, I just named the three that anyone would watch anyway. That's not true. What about music? Oh, yeah, that's true. What am I talking about? I've seen like 10 music documentaries. They're all, all right. great. So, you said you're interested in stats, and that's the perfect way to segue into the no hitter. And Arietta's Arietta, how do you, I say it correctly? Arietta. Arietta. Okay, good. I was right on the first track. Arietta's. Current yeah. run, I wrote an article on ESPN today. For the listener at home, I'm recording this on Saturday, April 23rd. His stretch in the last 10 months is unparalleled. He is a freak. I mean, it's something like the record's 24-1, and one, I believe. I think I saw the stat. I mean, you might have it in front of you. I'm, it's from. Did you read it today on ESPN? I, I read it the other day. As, okay. Was it 23 or 24-1? and one? Or 20 and one, something like insane with the ERA is like 0.72. It's and like Bob Gibson levels, but he's pitching totally, better than him. His second half last year was the greatest second half in baseball history. No one ever pitched from post the All Star break to the end of the regular season as well as Jake Arrieta did. And the one loss was to Cole Hamill throwing a no hitter against the Cubs. So his one loss, the other pitcher threw a no hitter to beat him. That's crazy. Now, is this the most exciting thing in all of sports for you? Yes. I'm, I'm baseball is my number one sport. And to watch the Cubs, and I've always been a huge, when we signed Theo Epstein, I was jumping up and down. Because I had read Moneyball, I had read, I read, read fan drafts, I would read all the baseball prospectus books about guys like Theo Epstein and this new way of thinking, the Billy Bean, you know, Jed Hoyer, these guys 
who look for value where no one's looked for value before and they use just advanced metrics and everything. And it's, it's really fascinating to me how wrong everybody's been about baseball for so long about like where runs come from and everything like that. So to have this guy get the keys and be able to start from the basement up, which is what I always was saying. I'm like, this is great because he's going to come in here and I know it's going to be bad for a couple of years, but to rebuild, if you want to build a mansion, you got to start with the basement. And that's what he did. And he started with the farm system and then made the right trades at the right time. And then when the team was ready, went out and signed the big names. Like he said he would. He did everything he said. That's why I never understood the Cubs fans who were mad at the rebuild. I'm like, we're not being lied to. This is the first time we've, we're not being lied to. What about when you see a guy like Sterling Castro? He was the last of the guys pre-Epstein. He goes to the Yankees and he's got a phenomenal start. Like, do you feel like, well, maybe we screwed up on that one? Uh, maybe. I mean, Castro, to me, though, is going to be a good player, but we know what he is. He's a guy who will bat in between 285 and 310, and he'll have spectacular plays here and there. He'll drive you nuts when he isn't paying attention to a routine play. I understood why they traded him. Ben Zobers was a guy the lineup sorely needed, a guy who rarely strikes out. And the Cubs, that was their one weakness in the offense. They were just a team of guys who struck out. So adding Hayward and Zobers, contact-heavy guys, and a guy who does what the rest of the team does. The whole team works the count now. Like, the pitch counts, the way they drive starters out of the game, it's incredible. They're leading the league in walks by far, and Castro did not buy into that system. So now you have eight batters, including the pitcher, really, who all believe the same thing. Let's work the count. I want to put stress on the pitcher, the opposing pitcher, every at-bat. And Castro's a nice player and all that, but people forget how terrible he was in the first half of last year. If he would have started this season as bad as he did last year, then we can't trade him for anybody. He finished the season well, so his value came up a little bit. And we were able to get Adam Warren out of the deal and free up money to sign Ben Zobris, who's coming off of a World Series victory with Kansas City. I supported the move. They didn't call me and ask me if I agreed with it, but I support them nonetheless. Who do you talk to this stuff about if it's not other comics? Oh, my cousins and I. We're nuts. We have an email chain. It's about all sports, though. And it's well represented. My cousin Colin's the youngest in the group. And he's kind of like the flashy hot shot. We were talking about the whole Kobe scoring 60 points in his last game. And my cousin Colin's like, oh, who cares if you put up 50 shots? That's how you got to do it. You know, put the team on your back and all that. My cousin Danny, who is a big numbers guy, talked about how inefficient that way of thinking is and how Kobe was what was wrong with the NBA the last 10 years. And guys like LeBron and Curry are all about efficiency. And then my cousin Brian is just like, I just want to see people dunk. Like, you know, they all kind of have the – they represent every – face of a sports fan like every facet of sports fandom is the four of us and we go back and forth and it's great i would love if you and your cousins had a show be it television radio whatever just essentially reading that email chain because that's the kind of stuff i would way rather hear than espn3 whatever i would i would love that too i always kind of had a, i was thinking about this recently about how Colin quinn had that show tough crowd with Colin quinn yes I feel like that was way ahead of its time because that ran in like 03 to 05 or something and right now, that would be a much better show because of, with social media and how you know people either overreact or underreact, usually overreact. And I always wanted to do a show where it could be about sports, where it's almost like at the dinner table, just a bunch of idiots arguing with each other, but have it somewhat, you know, I don't want just people yelling over each other because that kind of gets very Fox Newsy. Uh, but something like that would be a lot of fun to watch. And even with politics, because growing up, we went to my grandma's house every Sunday for dinner. That was like our thing. She lived in the city too. She lived actually in Saga, in this very nice neighborhood. And we would go there every Sunday 
and it was either sports arguments or politics. But the funny thing is, everyone basically agreed with each other. They were all Cubs fans, they were all Democrats, but everyone was arguing so loudly about different ways to do it, and the dinner would be ready, and it was happy. I never thought of that. So when I would like argue with comedians and people are like, why are you yelling? I'm like, wait, is this not how people talk? What? I thought we yell. I thought that's how we get our point across. I feel like I'm talking to someone from my own family, and I've had that conversation many times, especially with my wife's family. They're not used to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my wife's family is definitely different in that sense. Um, what do your yeah. parents think of you not being in Chicago anymore? Oh, they, they don't like it. I mean, they're cool with it, but I know they always say to me, like, anytime you want to come back, they just want everybody nearby. That's do you see yourself day. ever going back? Yes. Oh, no, totally. I told people at my going away party, I'm like, I'm not going to be out in L.A. forever. I have no desire to, to live in L.A. for the rest of my life. And I like living here. I'm having fun. But I I really came out here just to make some noise and and really – you know, there's more opportunity in LA. I mean, sure, you could get things out of Chicago. We've seen comedians in the past year, Pat McMahon, Emily Galati. There are people who could get a TV credit out of Chicago. But again, going to the numbers, my chances, my percentages are way higher out here. And I want, I wanted a different challenge. I, I love Chicago, but you can only headline the same four or five showcases every week. So for so long before it's like, am I getting any better out here? Am I, yeah, but know? if you look at the calendar that you have, for upcoming dates, some of those places are in the Midwest, and you're going to have to drive. I don't see how it's different if you're mostly trying to do stand-up if your base is in Chicago or L.A. And, in fact, it might even be easier if it's in Chicago to hit a lot of those other Midwestern cities if you're playing clubs anyways. No, absolutely. And I think about that, especially, you know, I'm doing a bunch of dates in Iowa in June. I uh, Here's the thing. Coming out to L.A., my, what I meant by – just coming out here and making my mark somehow. If I get a few TV credits out here, say if I could get on a Conan or if I get like on a Comedy Central show or just whatever, just building up that resume to the point where I could go back to Chicago, live there. Uh, you talk about a sports radio show. That's a fantasy of mine. I would love to have like a you know a show on the score ESPN 1000 by day or WGN radio. I know a lot of great people there. <laughs> and uh, I do actually have good friends with the producer. I was at his wedding. So I would love that and then be able to do stand-up and tour around the country in the Midwest on weekends. That's that's my ultimate dream, to be able to combine those two loves. Like our, our friend Marty DeRosa, he's been able to combine wrestling and comedy. Those are his two biggest passions of his life. And I assume you probably have a similar background with journalism and comedy, mm-hmm. wanting to bring those two worlds together. So if I get those TV credits, I could go back to the Midwest. And then when I go to clubs like Skyline or – Comedy Club in St. Madison or whatever, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I could up my pay a little bit because I've, I'm more recognizable. You could sell more tickets. That's just, it's building a following, which I felt like maybe coming to LA would be the next step of the you know evolution of being a comedian. Do you felt like you left at the right time? I actually thought I should have left a year or two earlier. And that's not a, being like a cocky thing. That's, I, I thought it would have been better because then I could have had some momentum going into my 30s. Because you, everyone tells you this when you move to LA, your first year is is going to suck. It's going to be difficult. You're not. You're just. You're, it's complete culture shock when you get here, especially for me because I never dealt with homesickness in my life. I didn't go away to college. I, I went to a Chicago City college. I went to high, everything I've done was Chicago. The first time I lived outside the city was when I drove away to come out here. So I was homesick big time the first year because I, I didn't. You know, I wasn't prepared for that and doing comedy in a new city and figuring out, 
you know, where, what, what part of the scene should I go towards? Or what clubs should I try to get in with right away? You know, what bookers do I hit up? All that stuff is so new to you that if I would have came out here, maybe when I was 27, I would have definitely not put as much pressure on myself going into your thirties, even though thirties is still, 31 is still young in comedy. I know that Holly, it's my dog in the background. I figured. And I also think we have the same dishwasher, by the way. Yeah, I should have went into a silent room. I'm sorry. My dad's actually flying in at 5.30 tonight, so I'm just doing extra cleaning. And I'm doing cleaning, too. We're a modern couple. Actually, I'm probably not. They're going to give me a hard time. I'm talking to your boy, Brandon Weatherby. Hi, Weatherby. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is not good for a podcast right now. I actually might keep this in because I want to describe to the listener at home the face you made when Megan just said hello. This just entire look. What was the face I made with Megan? Was it like a just a mixture of older brother disappointed and like and maybe dad. Just like I love you, but get the fuck out of my house. Like kind of this look. <laughs> Megan just yelled, "That's the face I always make." Uh, I kind of have an older brother relationship with Megan in a way. Uh, no, the, if I make a face, she cracks me up. So the face I make is like because she's such a grandma in a in a thirty year old woman's body. I love you she's too. A, She's such a grandma. You should see how excited she gets everything. She's like, hi, you know. And she's like, isn't this neat? She said neat the other day. For sure she did. She, she's right, though. Oh, man, this is great. Can we talk about the Blackhawks for a second? Oh, absolutely. Okay. You, I don't know how much you want to get into it. You don't have to. But it's, it's okay for me to say you're legit friends with some of the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, yes, but a lot of them aren't on the team anymore. Okay. I, I still I know Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith enough where if I walked bumped into them, I'd be like, "Hey, Joe. Hey, Brent. Hey, Duncan. How are you?" Um, Jonathan Taves, I know a little bit. He actually, you'll appreciate this. He called me Bobby Flay, which I thought was funny because yeah. I thought Canadian friends would refer to me as how I look like Bobby Flay. And uh, I was leaving a party, and he was just like, "Check you later, Bobby Flay." And I, was, I thought that was funny because we hadn't really talked much before that. Like, I'd seen him around. Dave Bolin, I was, I'm good friends with. And I was at his you know, wedding, and we hung out all the time. Now, we were, uh, we're both fans. You're a lot more connected than me. But we both like Nirvana a lot. And we're going to get back to the most uncomfortable part of the 2015-2016 Chicago Blackhawks season, which is just even being a Blackhawks fan this year. With everything that happened in the offseason going into this cup, did you even watch this year? Did you have conflicted feelings? Um, oh, I totally had conflicted, conflicted feelings. I thought they handled that, the press, uh, the press conference for Patrick Kane's situation terribly. Uh, the latest story about one of their prospects. I don't know if you heard this with the revenge porn thing. Uh, yeah, there's been some things organizationally. I just don't know what they're doing because for years before this, they were great. On, on leading the charge and all things, they'd bring the Stanley Cup to the the Pride Parade every year, which was awesome. And they're really great with charity, and they support the military, and they just, they did a lot of things right there. Um, Kane has had an amazing season, but it was uh, yeah, he's definitely the MVP. He's going to win the Hart Trophy. It's undeniable. He's had his career year after the worst thing potentially that he's ever done, maybe. I know, and it's such a weird case. And I, I, Megan Gailey and I reviewed the Duke lacrosse 30 for 30 called Fantastic Lies. 
And I wonder if there's going to be a 30 for 30 about this Patrick Kane thing eventually, because it's really weird. The lawyer recused himself from the case, which is you never really see happen like this. The mom was caught doing something illegal to make it look even worse, uh, which was really sad because if she really is a victim, the mother didn't do any better to help her case. And, and, and it seems weird. There's video footage, they said, of the woman following him around from bar to bar. And it's it's an ugly situation. And I just wish he – I think maybe that's why he had such a great year. Maybe this was the wake-up call he needed. But he really shouldn't – he should have had wake-up calls in the past with the drinking and the videos and everything that surfaced from him. He's an amazing talent, but he seems to be a, a very immature guy who puts himself in these horrible situations. And it was harder to follow them in the beginning of the year um, – well, it's hard to follow them out here anyway. The time zone difference is such a killer. And I don't have Comcast. And um, so I really check out – a lot of times I watch on my phone and just see highlights and check live game feeds. But it's tough to watch them as much as I'd like to. Yeah. Um, I'm on the opposite coast, so it's actually a lot easier for me to watch them. And I just couldn't I, – I, like, there's no getting around it. It doesn't matter what the reality is just because of the way it was handled. It's just uncomfortable. But then I find myself like sort of paying attention, especially now, like coming back in double overtime. It's like, do they have momentum? Should they even have momentum? What's Shaw doing now? Yelling at refs. He's suspended for a game for a slur. Like it's it's not fun. Oh yeah, the Shaw thing. God, yeah, we talked about that on the podcast. Um, it's one of those things where he came out. He was heartfelt with the apology right away and everything. But, yeah, he's played like a knucklehead the last few years. And, you know, the intensity of that stuff like that. And I, I would never defend anyone for using that word and everything. But I feel like players, professional athletes especially, are still products of their environment where if I want to hurt you as a fellow athlete or as a fellow man, they'll use that, that you know, a terrible word like that. Where I don't, Do I think Andrew Shaw is really homophobic or hates gay people? Absolutely not. I don't think that at all. I think it was poor judgment and – and every, it's what's sad is if they mic'd every player, we would hear that word all the time. Oh God! At every Kobe sport, Kobe found trouble with it for recently, or like a year or two ago. And yeah, it's a word that's still used in, in locker rooms and professional sports. And I don't think they mean it in an anti-gay way, but it's they don't understand the consequences of using that word. Football would have to be the worst sport in terms of what you would hear every single play. Totally, but they have a mouth guard in a lot. So it has like, to be the worst, the most horrible. Twenty-two men trying to murder each other, or twenty-one men trying to murder a man every single play. Yeah, that's going to be the worst. It's definitely hockey. I think you, know, you see a lot of go f yourself, and they. I think the, the temper they're always because you're on skates, and when you get hit, when you get when you get a cheap shot in football, it sucks. But when you get a cheap shot in hockey, it's also I'm gonna fall. And even the best skaters, you still get that little bit of, oh, no, as you slip. Anyone out there, if you ice skate, especially when you're learning, any little slip, you, your heart skips a beat a little bit, even though you know it's not going to hurt that badly. So you throw that on top of that, people, you lose the tempers and say dumb things. That is a great point that I've never thought of. Also, one of the reasons why hockey would never work for that much trash talking is the language barrier is just way too massive. Oh, yeah, totally. So, like, a word like fuck, that translates for everything. Uh, hand motion, hand gestures, I understand that. But, yeah, unlike football, everyone's from America. They're just trying to murder. Um, <laughs> you can be found. Uh, your record's on Spotify. Your Everything's in iTunes. What's the way that you make the most money? Oh, if people buy the album off of iTunes. Okay, so you, you want to send people to go pay attention 
on iTunes, not Spotify. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Go, go on. Buy, buy it on iTunes because it's better for the artist. If you, but I, I want you to listen to it anyway. So you can listen on Spotify. It's fine. Okay. I just this. I'll get one penny for every fifty times you listen to a track. It's like really. I think I need like five hundred streams to get fifty cents. So yeah, just if you buy the album one time, it's nine ninety nine, and then from that I get like seven bucks out of the nine ninety nine from iTunes. All right. That's a change. That's a nice thought. Hopefully people do that. But th- something that's much more likely to happen is someone buying the T-shirt because the T-shirt's great and the T-shirt is something you'll actually wear and it, and like it's a good T-shirt because it doesn't necessarily like even if you don't know who Joe is you could still wear the T-shirt and like the T-shirt. Yes, yes, the T-shirt uh, just says Day Drinker. It doesn't uh, just say Day Drinker. Well, those are the words, but it also has two stars on either side, which are the Chicago flag stars, which are just a, it's just a cool thing. I wanted the shirt to have some of my roots in it. Uh, Meredith Catchell. Do you know Meredith? Yeah, I know Meredith. Comedian. She designed the shirt for me. And um, I told her what I wanted and she nailed it. You and might be. I think it's safe to say you're the only Chicago, bigger Chicago homer than me. Really? That's Well, that's nice to say. I think so. I mean, I, well, I annoy everyone out here about this stuff. Everyone, everyone knows where I'm from within five minutes of meeting me. You might have me beat. Where'd you grow up again? I know you've told me this before. Oh, now I feel like a, an imposter. Okay, oh, zero, to 14, zero to 14 in Westchester, Fifteen, part of 15 in Oak Park, part of 15 and 16 on the south side by Midway on 64th and Narragansett, so it's like barely Chicago. It's Poland, essentially. And then back to Oak Park, and then Lincoln Park, Lakeview, and then 10 years just like traveling throughout the north side and south side in apartments. So did you go to... Did you go to OPRF for high school? No, I went to Fenwick because I moved four times in four years. I, I did know that you went to Fenwick. That's right, because I went to St. Pat's. I, yeah, exactly. And I played hockey, and I was so bad because I couldn't afford ice time, and I fucking killed it at roller hockey. So I went from, like, amazing in fifth grade, no ice time for five years, and now I'm on the third string team, and it uh, didn't work out well. Yeah, hockey's so expensive. But it's so fun. It's the most fun sport to play. It really is. All right. People should find all your stuff at JoeKilgallon.com. Uh, if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you're from Chicago, so you know how to spell that. See him in Iowa. I'm assuming you're going to be back in Chicago in the summer. I'm going to be back at the end of June. I don't have dates yet, though. Perfect. JoeKilgallon.com, and you'll see the dates. I'm sure I'll be at Community Chanel, Laugh Factory, and then the Whip Theater, which is a, a new theater I like to support. That's awesome. Um, thanks for doing this, man. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I had a lot of fun talking to you. If you would like more information on Joe Kilgallen, like we said, go to JoeKilgallen.com. It's all there. Uh, The album is there. The podcast is there. The dates are there. Everything Joe is on JoeKilgallen.com. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm Brandon Weatherby, at sign YMTE. YMTE stands for You, Me, Them, Everybody, which is a show that I do. And we're going to be in Chicago on Thursday, May 26th, recording at The Hungry Brain. So if you're in Chicago at all, and I'm assuming you're probably close to Chicago or at least know of the city of Chicago, consider coming to the You Meet Them Everybody Live at the Hungry Brain on Thursday, May 26th. Our art is by Dimitri Samaroff, and both of our songs are by Daniel Knox. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful night.